which is stupid. Again, straight out of like yes. 2008. The nostalgia is real here. Yes, I'm living in 2008. <laughs> Ten years ago. Yes. What if there is no tomorrow? If there, there wasn't one today. I don't know what that means. Groundhog Day. <laughs> I've never seen that. Damn it, John. All right. I don't watch movies. Hello and welcome to the Fourth and Short Podcast, your week two of the preseason edition. We are going to be breaking down week one and looking at week two of these meaningless games, but this is where we get to shine and show our takes and show our football knowledge. So I'm here joined by John and Brad. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm hungry. I'm aware. Fine. Okay, Brad doesn't have an opinion. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had my I had my microphone on mute. I'm doing great. <laughs> apparently not good enough. Doesn't want to talk to us apparently. Um <laughs> So yeah, Panthers football was played this past week and uh Panthers football will be played if you're listening to this it'll be today. Um, so yeah, we're on full on swing in the preseason. Um, Panthers just beat the Buffalo Bills. They won 28 to 23 on a second half comeback by the third and fourth string. Good on them. So, uh, looking at how the team did specifically the depth guys and the guys that were, aren't the number ones because, you know, they only played like two series anyway. Uh, I guess let's let's talk about think of that group. Uh John, I'll start with you. Uh give me the guy that impressed you the most and the guy that impressed you the least. I just wanna say my generic take on the preseason. It's always so funny. Like I get so excited. I'm like just like amped up for the first football game and I'm so excited and by like the middle of the third quarter I'm looking at my phone more than I'm looking at the TV. It's like oh this isn't very good. <laughs> I'm bored. Every single pre, it's, it's even it's worse with like the Hall of Fame game when it's not the Panthers playing. But even when the Panthers play, my interest wanes in the second half when I'm watching players that I'm never going to see again. But um, I think the obvious answer for the bad player was Kevon Seymour because um, not only did he play poorly, he played poorly against the guy that everybody wanted the Panthers to shut down in a meaningless preseason game, letting Kelvin Benjamin eat his lunch. Um. Which isn't great. I'm pretty sure Kelvin, Kelvin Benjamin you, ate everybody's lunch. Yeah, that's Kelvin Benjamin's specialty. Um, and then who was good? Uh, I, I think Taylor Heineke was impressive once he kind of got going. I like he seemed like he could uh, he could make all the throws, and I like his mobility and stuff. Um, Just to give you his stat line, it was uh, seven passes completed of nine attempted with 121 yards and one touchdown. Um, pretty good. 
pretty much all of that led the team aside from the one touchdown, which was tied with Garrett Gilbert, who threw three more incompletions. So, yeah, I thought, yeah, on the same amount of completions, more incompletions for Gilbert and fewer yards. Yeah, I thought he looked really good. Um, when I was at camp, he was him and Gilbert were getting uh, were like taking turns with the second team reps. But uh, Heineke always was the first one to get the second team rep. So like when they would do the offense versus defense stuff, it would always be Cam and then Heineke and then Gilbert. And then when they would, they would break and do other stuff and then we'd come back to do offense versus defense, it'd be Cam, Gilbert, and Heineke. So, so um, what you're saying is backup quarterback controversy. Very much so. Um, and so that was, that, was, that was good to see, especially because I didn't have any expectations for him at all coming into the preseason. And before I get to Brad, John, I feel like you're leaving somebody out as far as who you're disappointed in. I just, oh, I, uh, I just have a feeling that maybe you're you're uh, you're intentionally leaving the guy out. No, no, no. Curtis Samuel was fine on uh, last week. I'm not saying he played poorly last week. I'm saying he was bad, really bad last year, and he didn't show anything last week to make me think he's not going to be bad again this year. Um, but he caught four passes, John. He caught all four of his targets. I, I'm very aware. Um, two of them yeah. he caught with like his face and arms, which is like not ideal, but it worked. Um, I've been told that counts the same as you know catching it well and running with it, but diff- I don't know. Different people have different opinions. Like like I said, he played fine. I'm glad he didn't drop the ball. I don't think not dropping the ball should be like the only bar that has to be cleared to say he played well. Um, he played as expected. Uh, but last year he was so bad with like drops and poor technique that was hindering his run after catch ability. And uh, again, drops that were causing him to break his ankle. I just like, I won't be optimistic until I can see more like, like he needs to do it more than just one preseason game. Cause he's, I've seen him catch the ball before. It wasn't like he was physically incapable of catching it before. And now he can catch it. I need to see him do it consistently before I get off this, take of Curtis Samuels actually not that good. And for what it's worth, from what I saw, he's behind Bird in terms of who gets reps first with the offense. He was on the the only time I saw him on the field with the first team offense was when they motioned him into the backfield and did this like play action handoff to Samuel and then threw a bubble screen to McCaffrey. Other than that, it seemed like Bird was getting more reps with like before Samuel was. But I might not have been paying enough attention. I could be wrong. The mere bird, every Panthers fan's dream. <laughs> That's sixth wide receiver. He's uh, your Brad. favorite receiver, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't beat out Brenton Burson, but hey. I'm just, I mean, who's I'm on the team now? Alone. I'm just I'm just a lowly... Who's on the Panthers team now? Here. You know damn well that Burson <laughs> was, was pushed out just like Jerry Richardson was. I don't want to hear it. Um, yeah, that's totally not a coincidence at all that they were pushed out at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Collusion. Um, so Brad, give me your, uh, your, your guy that impressed your guy that disappointed. Well, John stole my answers, so I'm going to have to make something else up. Um, as far as who I thought was a big letdown, I'm going to go with David Mayo. Uh, I thought he looked lost. I thought he looked like a UDFA that was a rookie. Uh, and I'm actually kind of concerned because you know how Ron Rivera is with, with players that have been on the team for a couple of years they automatically get preferential treatment as far as playing time. So hopefully it was just a one-time 
thing, uh, but he did not look very well. Um, as far as who impressed me, I'm going to stay with the linebackers. I really liked what I saw out of Jermaine Carter. And if if you would have told me, like if, it, if I would have been watching the game as someone who didn't know anything about the Panthers roster and you told me one of them was a third, fourth year player, whatever Mayo is, and the other one was a rookie, I would have thought that Jermaine Carter was the veteran. Uh, he looked like he belonged out there. He has a very quick um, burst. Uh, he gets after it. He hustles. He doesn't quit. And I, I think he's, A, going to make the team, and, B, I think he's going to get some playing time this year. So I, I was excited about what I saw, and I'm looking forward to seeing him tomorrow or, well, today, if you're listening to this. Yeah, Jermaine Carter looks – didn't look like a rookie out there. Like he, uh, he was very aggressive. He pursued the ball quite well. I was, I was very impressed with what I saw from him. He didn't, he, again, like you said, he didn't look like a rookie for sure. He, uh, he also had a sack, which, um, if you look at his, if his, at his, uh, college career, he only had three and a half sacks. So for his first NFL playing time to get one sack is, uh, pretty good. I must say, um, he I also would have had a you, second one if it wasn't fourth down and Josh Allen to throw it backwards over his head while falling to the ground. Yeah, if he didn't throw it like it was a grenade in World War II, <laughs> Jermaine exactly. Carter would have well, had two sacks. Carter was the victim of the Josh Allen experience, as Billy Marshall I was going to say, I want to talk about the Josh Allen experience. Yeah, we have. a wild ride. Yes. Like I, like I said in the Slack chat, it's like spinning a game show wheel. Like One play, he's going to throw a dart 40 yards down the field and hit his receiver in stride. The next play, he's going to run in a circle and throw it 15 yards out of bounds. Like, no idea. We literally saw that, too, because, like, the first play, the first pass he threw was like a 52 yard bomb that was complete. Of course, the guy was out of bounds when he caught it, but still, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was on point, perfect throw, everything. And then a couple of plays later, he does that run around. (laughs) <laughs> on fourth down and, and heaved it like it was a grenade or something. And he had a play where he literally dove sideways as he threw it. Yeah. Like it, it's amazing how <laughs> he's like five different quarterbacks wrapped up into one person. And it's amazing. One of them's a hall of famer. One of them <laughs> is Jimmy Clausen. And one of them is a mediocre, like Sam Bradford type guy. And that <laughs> all of those players make up the Josh Allen experience. And there's not another quarterback in the league that gives you that same, I don't know what the hell's going to happen when he's on the field. He needs he's, like the ca- he's like the captain planet of quarterbacks. Yeah, he <laughs> needs to start, and Bills fans need to be hopeful that he will, because at the very least, even if they don't win a game, he will be entertaining. Very entertaining. kind of sounds like what, what Colin Coward thinks Cam Newton is. I've been saying That's that exactly about... exactly what it is. I've said that before. Josh Allen is what everybody thinks Cam Newton is. Yeah, we've we've talked about that a lot in the lead up to the draft. Cuz he like everybody's like oh Cam's not a pocket passer, he just runs as soon as for one read and run big arm but he's not accurate and that's like that's exactly Josh Allen. Josh Allen like I felt like he he's like um how Carson Wentz is where he draws back and then he basically like like locks his feet into the ground and then if he does move, it's like a dead sprint somewhere. Like he doesn't just like shift around in the pocket. He's either anchored to the ground or like running around like a headless chicken. Sounds like Cam Newton to me. 
It just sure is. <laughs> Bread and butter right there. Um, so to give you my guys, uh, guy who disappointed, guy who impressed, um, the guy who disappointed me the most was actually Marquise Haynes. Um, now granted, he was thrown to the Wolves a little bit because they were just kind of throwing him out there as, you know, a four down defensive end in the second and third string, but he got stonewalled so many times. And for a guy who is so touted as a speed rusher, just seeing him get stonewalled again and again and again was a little frustrating. I mean, it's, he's a rookie, so he's got time, and the Panthers have made the best out of guys like him who have, you know, one specific skill set. Like his first game as a Panthers player had two sacks against the Bucks, So I'm not overly worried about it, but I was disappointed just because They've been talking him up the entire offseason, and for him to just get stonewalled against third and fourth stringers was a little concerning. Um, guy who impressed me the most, I'm going to go with the easy answer here, DJ Moore. Led the Panthers in receiving with, um, let me pull up the stats real quick here. Four catches for 75 yards. Yep, four catches for targets. 75 yards, and a lot of it was Yak as well. He, uh... He was breaking tackles, making people miss. I mean, obviously it was just one game in the preseason, but everything that he was highly touted for in the draft was shown in that game. He was breaking tackles. He was running hard. He he definitely reminded me a little bit of Steve Smith a couple times. I'm not saying he is the next Steve Smith, but those, those compliments that Steve Smith paid towards him, I can totally see where he was coming from in that first game. He's very tenacious with the ball in his hands. Like, I'm I'm a little concerned that it's going to get him hurt at some point where, like, he's just going to, like, get an ankle rolled up on or something. But he, like, every single catch, it took more than one person to bring him down. And he's and probably he, glad to just have a real quarterback actually throwing <laughs> him the ball, too. Yeah. You know? So I, I think he's going to break out this year. Like, that, that one uh, little crossing route he caught where he broke, like, four tackles, it was just, like – it looked very um, Alvin Kamara-esque, where it just looked like he's just, like, impossible. He just doesn't know how to fall down. Like, players are just sliding off of him, and he's not even losing his balance. Not that he's That's Alvin Kamara. But, but it, it, it's it's body control. It's yeah. on top of the fact of being, you know, strong. It's body control, being able to uh, kind of um, go limp, essentially, when the guy hits you. Like, knock you back as much. You're not <laughs> tightened up, so... Yeah, it's what it, Kamara made his uh, made his bread and butter last season by doing stuff like that. And you're right; it it looked a lot like what what Moore was doing, at least in the first game. Um, I don't Golden know if he'll Tate be a too. starter. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if he'll be a starter, but I think that week one he'll definitely be involved. And the Panthers have made a very significant investment in the offense this year, and uh, I liked what we saw from the offense in the first two series, mainly because it, for, for the first time in how many years, they didn't look like they didn't know what the hell they were doing for the first two series. Like they Christian McCaffrey got six touches. Um, first series kind of boggled down, but second series they went in and scored and they just, they looked like an offense and knew what they were doing. And that was kind of surprising because throughout the Mike Schuler, like every preseason game, 
those first few series, the offense just kind of looked like they were like, Whoa, what's going like, on here, guys? I like that we ran a lot of plays out of shotgun. I like that we ran a lot of, like, every play that was under center, I think, was a play-action fake. Which, to yeah. me, there's, like, very little reason to not use a play-action fake a lot of the time. Because, I mean, why not? Why not create that little bit of deception? Exactly. The one thing I want to see... I want to see the offense actually get to the line of scrimmage with more than three seconds on the play clock. And I think if we can see that this year, I think the offense will find more success because Cam is really good at changing the play at the line, despite what, you know, the average fan thinks or says about him. And I, I think if Norv can get, give him time, uh, you know, we'll see a lot of positive things. And even if it's not like changing the play line of scrimmage, I think there's a benefit to be able to like survey what the defense looks like before you snap the ball instead of like running up, taking the snap right away and then trying to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. Especially, I mean, well, you like, know, he can play around with the snap count and all that other stuff like he does too. So yeah. Cam has a very good hard count too. I don't know why they didn't use it more last season, but like in 2015, he used it to perfection. I think against the Redskins, he had like, Three or four, um, and like one drive neutral zone infractions and one drive. Yeah, like he's good at that, and it was proven that he can change the play at the line and do fine. Where when you have two or three seconds to snap the ball, you can't really like do anything against whatever the defense is doing. In the NFL, the defenses are disguising coverage, so I can totally see why that would be a problem. So they definitely did that in the first game. I saw that. They were they had everybody lined up and ready to go with like seven, five, seven, eight, nine seconds left. So seems like North Turner gets it, but again, just one preseason game. Um, you know, yeah, we'll see. It's, yeah, we'll see more of it. I, I mean, it was it was like obviously we're going to be optimistic because why not? But like it was it was definitely it felt like it looked different. Um it felt like it looked easier. Like it wasn't such a labored effort to get players open. Like McCaffrey was running open. Arm was running open. Like DJ Moore got, so he had one pass knockdown, but then he had another bubble screen where he had space. Like, it's just like, uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be like everybody's blanketed by defenders. Every single play that Cam tries to throw the ball. And on the flip side of that too, on top of, you know, being able to analyze the play before it happens from the snap, Looking at the protection, um, obviously Daryl Williams is probably going to be out for at least the first half of the season. I mean, he's totally, we don't know how how quickly he'll be back. So the left guard position is wide open right now, and the offensive line in general is kind of a work in progress. Um, just looking at the way things are going, um, I'll start with you, Brad. Who do you think is going to be the starting left guard come week one? I think it's either going to be Tyler Larson or Greg Van Roten. I think when one of those two guys, I, I don't see Ron using an undrafted free agent rookie. I, I just, I don't see it. Um, you know, Brendan Mann has a lot of work Mahan. to do. Ma, yeah. Mahan. Uh, Brendan Mann has a lot of work to do to be able to call himself an NFL starter. And, uh, I think I, I think they like Greg Van Roten as the backup center, so I think it's going to be Tyler Larson's job to lose. 
assuming he's not hurt because I know he's got a hyperextended elbow and he's not going to play tonight. But, you know, I, I think that that he's probably the front runner. And, you know, I, I would love to see one of the, the undrafted free agents be the next Andrew Norwell. I just don't think that's going to happen in, in 2018. Who started? Did Van Roten start on last week? Yes. Yes, because Larson played center because Ryan Khalil didn't that's, play. That's true. I was going to say fun, a little fun fact, real quick. Um, I went on the Panthers website today, and they have Van Roten listed as a guard and Larson listed as a center. Okay, so, so they've they've switched it around because I know earlier in the off season they they said Van Roten was going to be the backup center, and you know Larson wasn't. So I guess they've changed that. I, yeah. I don't think I disagree with what you're saying, BW. I just wanted to note that because obviously that was a change. Yeah, I mean, um, it, I, I didn't know that. So with that information, flip it around. I would say that Van Roten will probably play left guard and Larson will be the, the swing man who plays guard or center. I was going to say, I think it'll be Van Roten just because he's the one that they put there first. Like he's he was the one they saw as the backup when Asila Tola went down. So I I think it takes a lot for them to uh I don't I think the you know the whole like rookie Ron Vera never plays rookies thing is overblown, but I do think it takes a lot for him to change his the depth chart. And if Van Roten starts off as the the new left guard, then I think it'll be hard to unseat him unless he just plays Kevin Seymour like for the rest of the preseason. Yeah, and let's be real. Van Roten is a much cooler name for a guard the than perfect. Tyler Larson. It's it's the perfect name for a guard. It also like matches his appearance too. Yes, he totally <laughs> looks like his name is Greg Van Roten. Yes, it's a hardcore football name right there. <laughs> um, so you brought up uh, Kevon Seymour. So uh, let's segue to the defense here. Yeah, I think I called um, him Kevin, but it's uh, I know his name's Kevon. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, let that, you know. <laughs> Actually, his name here. now after after last week, his name's Burnt Toast. But <laughs> I'd like to see the jersey update on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of me hopes that it was just that Buffalo knows how bad he is at certain things, so they exploited it. But the analytical side of me that you know says no it's not like they traded him to us for Kalen clay you know so i mean he's probably not very good and i i know brian's going to get triggered when i say this but i think that i think that lorenzo daw should probably make the team over kavon seymour Oh, Even well, though I know that because ron rivera is in charge he won't like kavon seymour is going to make the team but he shouldn't. I, I think. I think. Um. By the way, this is like kind of a tangent to you, the Kalen Clay, Kevon Seymour trade. I love that Kalen Clay, within the last 365 days, has played with the Panthers and the Bills twice each. Yes. Yeah, because they waived him what, like two weeks later, and we got him off waivers. Yeah. So yeah, we we had Kalen Clay. They had Kevon Seymour. We traded them, and then they waived Kalen Clay, and we re-signed him. And then we cut Kalen Clay and the Bills signed him again. Yeah. So a guy just needs so two home, it, one in Buffalo, yeah, one in Charlotte. Yeah, it, it basically ended up we had both Clay and Seymour, and they got a seventh round pick out of yes. the whole deal until they, they signed him after we cut him again. But 
they'll probably cut him and we'll sign him. And, you know, so just he's the new Brenton Burson. Don't you ever take <laughs> his name in vain. Um, yeah, I, I am a little triggered by that. Um, so for those of you who weren't following along in the comments, um, I was having a discussion that was apparently misjudged, and that was part that was mostly my fault because I was talking about Kevin Seymour when the I, when the person being addressed was Cornelder. But Doss has been in the league for the last four years and hasn't started. So for him to beat out a guy like Kevon Seymour, who has started for the Panthers, just kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, we have that classic training camp dark horse to make the roster type guy, and maybe he will. Maybe maybe he will. But Seymour just has experience in the scheme. It's hard for me to sit here and say, oh, let's let a guy where they at least know somewhat what they've got with him for a guy who's never started in the league. So that's my thoughts on that. Um, yeah, my, my disagreement Seymour- with that, though, is having a known quantity is fine. It's just that when that known quantity is a human garbage can, you don't really serve yourself better to have a known quantity when it's known to be bad. You know, Lorenzo Doss Lorenzo Doss could be the worst player in the NFL. Like he could be the Amini Silatolu of defensive backs. It's possible. He could also be Deion Sanders. We don't know. We literally do not know. But we do know that Kevon Seymour is bad. Lorenzo Doss. I mean, we're, we're talking the, uh, about like the fourth corner on the depth chart, too. We're not talking about, you know, number two guy beside James Bradbury. Um, so I think we could take a gamble with, with a guy that we don't really know much about. Because it's not like anybody else is going to sign Kevon Seymour. And if Doss isn't any good, we could always bring Seymour back. with the Broncos after two seasons, so that's all I have to say about that. But anyway. Uh, he's on the Broncos. Um, he's automatically a good cornerback. He's Champ Bailey. Yeah, I mean, right. come on. Champ Bailey, Dre Bly, you know. Um, anyway, uh, I was what I was going to address is the secondary is certainly a concern. However, I think that Dante Jackson's performance throughout training camp and even the last preseason game, I kind of think he's essentially nailed down that starting position already, which is, it seems that way. Like I was a little surprised by it, but I mean, granted he's got, you know, the physical tools to be a really fast corner and they haven't had a guy who has that kind of makeup speed, but damn, he took it over quick. Like I was surprised. He's um, you guys, but I like his swagger and yeah, he's, um, He's got, I don't know, it's just like any technique floss he has, he can kind of overcome a little bit just because he's faster than 98% of the players he's going up against. Um, Josh Norman in his rookie year, but with the speed to make up for his mistakes. Exactly. That makes any sense. Yeah. Um, I did see him get a pick on Cam in the... Uh, in the, one of the practices that I was at, and he he does a pretty good job, like staying in receivers' hips and stuff. I think he's gonna be, he's gonna have his growing pains, obviously, but I do think he's gonna be like not a net minus for the defense, at least not often. 
Yeah, shout out to Evan, who's been telling us this for like the last two months. So <laughs> if you're listening, Evan, you know, props to you. But shut up. You should be a scout. You don't know better than us. <laughs> but I agree with John. I think my favorite thing about Action Jackson is his, is his swagger. Like, I think I think he's got a good attitude. Yeah, for a corner. Like, it's for exactly what you want. Yeah. They haven't really had that swagger either since Norman and uh, Mike Mitchell left, too. Like, they haven't had a guy who's just kind of, like, out there just being like, I'm better than you, and, like, playing with that kind of fire and scrappiness that those kind of guys play with. And the secondary altogether always seems to do better when they have that swagger. So, I'm happy to have him there, for sure. And I think that... uh all this debate over DOS over Seymour is kind of null just because I think Jackson has kind of pushed his way into the starting lineup because he's good. Yeah. Well, that's why I said, I think we're talking about the fourth guy on the depth chart when we're talking about Seymour elder DOS, because, you know, captain's going to be the slot guy. So he's number three, you know, so we're not talking about a starter. We're talking about a depth guy. So I think it's, it's less of a gamble to, to roll with somebody like Doss. And there's not really much of a whole, like who knows the system thing. Cause we have a new defensive coordinator. I'm sure it's a very similar system to the, to what we've had in the past, but it's not, it's not like something that Kevon Seymour will know. Like it's like the back of his hand. Like he's, he's still learning stuff too, especially cause I I'm a, I, I, there. I don't think I feel like our defense is going to be different than it was under Wilkes because our defense under Wilkes was pretty radical change over what we had with McDermott. And it I was a radical the, play just, calling change. What's that I mean? But that's not that's different than being a radical scheme change. Like they, I don't think they would have promoted Eric Washington if they planned on running a totally different defense. Like Wilkes ran yeah, the well, same defense, defense, he just blitzed a lot more. Yeah, he asked. Well, I'm saying he like he asked his players to do different things than Washington is. Did he really? So though? Like, like, I mean, if you're blitzing, you're asking players to do different things, aren't you? Uh, like you're giving your corners I mean, like, more responsibilities like, if they have less if they have less men in coverage. It's not like McDermott never blitzed, though. No, but I mean, it's like I think a it's just like it's a different. A radical scheme change to me would be using man as your base more than zone, which I don't think of Washington or Wilkes did or will do. No, well, what do you mean, it's, like in terms of? No, that'll probably be the same. Well, like, but I'm saying, like, well, your well, what your point here is that you think that is that you're saying that the guys who have been here are not going to have a one up on the guys like Doss who are newer because I mean they'll have a little bit of a leg up because they're familiar with the other play, the other the coordinators and the coaching staff and stuff but I don't think it's as big as like a con- of a continuity thing as if we had kept the same defensive coordinator and same defensive like coaching staff like there's not as much of a continuity benefit that they get from that Yeah but I mean Wilkes had pretty much the same concepts in general base to his defenses that McDermott did. I don't know why Washington would stray away from that when it worked. Did it work? 
I mean, yeah. They were still a top <laughs> 10 defense last year. Eh. We're, we're, our defense was kind of eh. We got, we benefit, our defense benefits because our coaching staff thinks it's better to run fewer plays because I guess it makes your defense look better. But, um, I need to pull it back up. But our yards per play were pretty bad. We were like in the low teens, I think. And our pass rating against was pretty bad. Right. In pass rating against? In yards against. Or, or yards, yards per play. play. It was either 16th or 19th. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. It was it was bottom half, but not like, but in the teens. Mediocre. Do you, so yes. do you think that Eric Washington's going to make a radical change to the way the base defense plays? No. No, because I think no. Ron Rivera is the person that runs the defense. I think the defensive coordinator yeah. is just a puppet position. We were 23rd in passer wow. rating against... And then, uh, yeah, they did allow a lot of completions. Definitely, I, I, I'm not arguing that like I'm not arguing that like it was the right call or anything like that. My my argument was simply that I don't think Washington's going to change it up that much. Well, there's no argument there because we agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not he's not going to change it much. You know, like he'll. There may be a few small changes, but yeah, it's Ron Rivera's defense, and the guy calling the play doesn't really matter. Oh, we were 23rd in opponent's yard per play. Allowed. Oh, wow. Worse than I thought. Jesus. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think our DVOA was all right, but still not as good as I think. Um, uh, better call up Seattle. DVOA is a good stat. It's a good stat. Yeah. While we're on the subject of DVOA, here's my opinion on it because you asked for it. Um, I did. Yeah, it's a good stat. I don't discount that, and I hate the fact that that CSR fans shit on it so much because it's it's actually a good thing. The problem lies when you have other people who treat it as the literal only measurement that you can use. It's it's kind of like trying to build a house, but only using a yardstick to measure. Like you're not going to be very effective in doing it. And, you know, DVOA is, it's a tool and it's fine to, to use it and to say, well, the Panthers were third in DVOA and this, and the, you know, the Falcons were fifth the saints were second, you know, whatever. But that doesn't tell the whole story. That just gives you, it's, it's like sabermetrics in baseball. You know, it gives you an analytical view of what you see. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think the impression that people have that don't, is that it's just like a made up stat that they like come with, come up with anecdotally where they're like, uh, we give them a 10. So then they have a good DVOA. Like, it's just like a it's a pure statistical comparison about between how well a team performs against their competition relative to how other teams fare against the same competition. Like it's completely unbiased. Yeah. It's not it's not a thing where they're like, "Oh, we like Russell Wilson, so they get some bonus DVOA points." Like it's it's completely No, that's what ESPN does with QBR. That's <laughs> sure right. seems like it. Right. The QBR, I, there's a game, I can't remember, I'm not going to find it now, but we're like Christian, it was a game against the Vikings and Colts, I'm pretty sure, because it was like Christian Ponder against Andrew Luck when Andrew Luck was still 
the Golden Child. And their stat lines are like virtually identical, except most of Christian Ponder, like his stats came up in the second half when he like led a comeback. And Christian Ponder's QBR was like 40 and Andrew Lux was like 98. Yeah. So it, just, it was it was a weird it was a, it's a weird it's a hard to believe yeah. stat, especially because they're not transparent it's, it's a, at all it's, how they calculate yeah, it. It's a, exactly. That's what I was just about to say. It, I can't take their statistics seriously because they don't tell you how they come to it. Like they don't show yeah. their work. At least with DVOA, you can go on the website on Football Outsiders and you can click on a tab and you can look at exactly how they calculate DVOA, DYAR, all those other statistics that they do. You can mm-hmm. see the math and you can see what they do and how they compare and how they come up with it. You know, so it, it legitimizes it to me. Yeah. But we're seventh in QBR is basically ESPN's way of saying we like Russell Wilson more than we like Cam Newton. <laughs> the uh, the Panthers were seventh in defensive DVOA, by the way. So there, which is solid. We had apparently the the uh, hardest schedule in the NFL last year for our defense, which makes sense with the Saints and Falcons and, and Packers. Artists, and Packers. What was yeah. our offensive DVOA? I'm just curious. Um, I think it was like middle of the road. 17th. That wouldn't surprise. Seventeenth, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Hopefully, that'll jump up with with Mike Shula or with Mike Shula gone. I think honestly, what we're going to see is they're going to flip. You know, our offensive DVOA is going to be top ten, and our our defensive DVOA is going to drop down into the you know middle of the pack. Reminiscent of the uh, the Rob Tudzinski era, because you know, yeah, that, that I think that's essentially what we're going to see. Our 2011, we were fourth in offense, which I didn't realize we were that good. The and defense then, was awful, though, wasn't I'm it? Trying to find it, yeah. It's just my this internet's bad, so it's taking a while. Keep talking. Make some noise. Yeah, two, 2011, 2012 offense was definitely thirty the best second. Camp had. So we Jesus had the worst. Christ. We had the worst <laughs> defensive DVOA in 2011, and the fourth ex- best offense. And the yes. fourth best offensive, yeah. And it was Rob Jenkins' ex- fault. That that, that perfectly makes sense. That explains why Cam had to be perfect for the Panthers to win. If you remember back then, yeah. Um, yeah. We went what six and ten that year. Yep, two thousand eleven. Yeah, very easily we could have very easily had a winning record were it not for one time Cam Newton threw an interception. Well, I, yeah, I just I remember the first two weeks, and you know he lit up the the Cardinals and the Packers, and we lost both games because the defense gave up like thirty five points in each one. I I just while we're reminiscing, do you, how long was it like third year of Cam's career before he won a game that he threw an interception in? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, hell, it wasn't until 2015 until we had a winning record in games that were close. I wonder what that is. Why that is? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, looking forward, Panthers play the Dolphins today. Um, I'd imagine we'll probably expect to see the first team out for maybe a few series. Um. John, I'll start with you. Uh, any particular players you're watching for this preseason tilt? Um, I think my things that I want to see are more. I think I'm more like for the third preseason game because I really want to see if the 
the heavy workload that McCaffrey got with the first team offense was just because it was going to be a limited time with on the field and that won't, that'll change when the regular season starts. So I want to see if that continues for the next two weeks. And then, uh, I want to see if DJ Moore can keep up, uh, can look good again. That'll probably be my things I'm paying attention to. Brad, what about you? I want to see Taylor Henneke throw 300 yards and five touchdowns <laughs> to Demir Bird. All of it to Demir Bird. All of it to Demir Bird. Taylor Heineke. Take his place. Taylor Heineke finishes the night uh, 12 for 12 for 300 yards and five touchdowns. Demir Bird finishes the night with 12 catches. 12 catches, yards 300 touchdowns. yards, and five touchdowns. Panthers I'd, lose 56 <laughs> to 49. I would love a preseason game that went 56 to 49. Actually, I would too because I need a reason to watch the second half of these games. Because, you know, you said it earlier, you know, you're so excited about the first half. And, I mean, I didn't really care that much about last week. I, you know, hate me if you want, but I just don't care anymore because it's the preseason. And it doesn't really matter. I only watched it because I get paid to watch it. That Like, that literally was the only reason I watched. And the second half is even worse. Like, it's just – it's not – it's not like it used to be, you know, in 2010 – when we were terrible and there were guys in the, in the second half that were actually playing for a spot to make the team. Cause we were so bad that half of the players in the second half legitimately could make the team this year. There's like eight guys that are competing for a spot. That's it. So, you know, and the seven of those eight guys that are competing for a spot, they're not even going to get a game day spot. Cause you know, they're going to be the, the seven that, don't dress like the top 46 are already pretty much set in stone. So like, I, I don't really have anything to look forward to. So 56 49 would at least be entertaining as hell. Yes. Especially if all the points are scored in the second half, like if it's <laughs> like 10 to seven at halftime or, or seven, seven at halftime. And then it's, you know, Henneke, Gilbert, and Kyle Allen versus whoever in the hell Miami's backup quarterbacks are, and it's just a Big 12 shootout. That would be fun. Like, that would be a cool way to spend the second half. <laughs> and I don't even care who wins in that scenario. I just – I always, when I watch the preseason games, I'm always, like, a little stressed out. Like, please don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. Yes. And then whenever, like, whenever like you know, Garrett Gilbert and – camera artist pain and get those guys start checking in it's like oh okay we're good david mayo is like heading the defense can kind of breathe a sigh of relief and stop paying attention i'm excited for ian thomas because he had a few targets um last week and only had one catch for two yards um not great not definitely not great no um but i'd like to see him a little more involved and i think he will be um Right now, he's kind of the de facto tight end, too, with Chris Manhart still on the sideline with his injury. So he's the guy I'm watching because I want to see him make some plays because, quite frankly, week one, he might be out there. Oh, no. Oh, no. Brad, the Dolphins' backup quarterback is Brock Osweiler. Oh, it is? Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> oh, yes. I want I want Taylor Henneke versus Brock Osweiler in a Big 12-style shootout in the second <laughs> half today. 
You have Sorry no idea. Ryan. You have no idea how much I want that to happen. And Bryce Petty, no, who's done. familiar with the Big Twelve shootouts. Bryce Petty is their third guy. Yeah, that's going to be fun. It's a Big Twelve <laughs> college fans' dream this week. Heck yeah! Oh, what a <laughs> what a quarterback room that is. And David Fails is there too, but he's not as fun. Nah, not at all. He's well, like Nick Foles, but not Nick Foles. No. Fails. Fails, not fools. Nick fails. (laughs) So, yeah, we got Panthers-Dolphins coming up today. Week two of the preseason. See how the uh, first-team offense and defense does for their probably two, maybe three series. This is the uh, continuation of week one where we get to see all the backups play. Um, see a lot more. Probably see Lorenzo Doss get the majority of the steps on defense and continue the narrative that he deserves to be on the team. <laughs> um, Prove you wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd I'd be glad to see that happen. I would. I would also be, be glad, glad to see Curtis Samuel go off for a lot of yards and catches that he uses his hands for. Yeah, I'd like to see Curtis Samuel go off for four for. Four catches and 80 yards instead of four catches for 14 yards. That'd be good. Be a solid start. Um, yeah, any lasting uh, thoughts here, guys? No, I'll start I'm with all... you, John. Yeah, uh, no, I'm... I'm out. I'm out of thoughts. I am too. I mean, I just – I don't want anybody to get hurt for either yes. team. That's, that's pretty much it. It's good. It's good. Yeah, we got the brewing backup count – quarterback controversy with uh, Taylor Heineke and Garrett Gilbert. That's going to continue to battle next week, or I should say this week, tomorrow, today, whatever, <laughs> whenever you're listening. Um, Christian McCaffrey like, could have been yesterday. Could have been yesterday. I don't even know what day it is. Um, Christian McCaffrey likely won't see a whole lot of the field, so we'll see a lot more of uh, C.J. Anderson and uh, Cameron Artis Payne and probably a little more Elijah Hood to hype up the hood train and uh, definitely going to get a good look at the left guard battle with Brendan Mann, AKA Mahan, which is how it should be pronounced. And uh, Greg Van Roten um, defense. I want to see how Deshaun Hall and Marquise Haynes go because they're going to get more snaps, obviously um, a lot to watch as far as the depth goes, not a whole lot to watch as far as the starters go. So, We'll be here to talk about all that shit next week and see how it's going before the game that really matters in the preseason. Very professional. Talk about all that shit. Yes, all that shit. All that John, if you will. But yeah, from all of us here at the CSR Podcast, enjoy the Panthers-Dolphins preseason week two game. And we'll be here to break it down for you this is brian joined by john and brad csr podcast fourth and short have a good night and enjoy your game see you later keeps the football takes off to the end zone for the touchdown he takes the handoff and he scores avoided the dolphins behind the line of scrimmage and took it in for the first touchdown of the night newton keeps Lowers his shoulder and takes it in for the touchdown. On second and goal, shovel pass, McCaffrey, touchdown. And all dive.
it for Jonathan Stewart, and he's in for a touchdown. That's intercepted by Keaton. He has more of those than any linebacker in the league over the last five years. You know, it is good, and Carolina gets a road win in New England. There's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano. Or when you want a big two-toned cookie. Or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.